Hello, and welcome to another episode of Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing. I'm Nick. I'm Shanghai. I'm Samim. I'm Gabe. I'm LP. And I'm Will. And today we're getting into our next installment of Reading Through Refuse to Be Done by Matt Bell. This is a book that I really enjoyed. Actually, I might have suggested it, and I'm very excited to talk to y'all about it some more. Um, If you're following along, we are on page 16, and Will left off at widen your page margins. I want to talk about finding generative epigraphs, and I'm going to read from the book right now. Whenever I discover a bit of text like this, I stick it at the front of my manuscript, right after the cover page, so I see it first thing when I open the file. By the time I'm done, I often have five or 10, 15 epigraphs, way more than can go into a finished book. But by then, they served their purpose, having reminded me of what I was trying to do with my novel when the draft itself couldn't tell me. It references something that I didn't say anything about. So we're going to go back and I'm going to tell you what he's talking about when he's talking about these epigraphs. Uh, While drafting, I often find lines in other books I'm reading that could be potential epigraphs for the one I'm writing. Some of these speak directly to the thematic material I'm trying to address, while others serve as examples of the kind of prose I'm striving to write. Does that sound like a practice that you'd find fruitful? I knew you'd nod, so why don't you say say something? (laughs) Shingai. Let's start with Gabe. Okay, Gabe. (laughs) (laughs) I was raising my hand, yeah. Um, So when I read this part, it didn't really resonate for me, honestly. Mm Not in the way it was put in the book, but when I thought back to my own process, I have in my Scrivener file a part of, it's called like wisdom and phrases and things like that. I don't remember Mm -hmm. the name of the file, but it's where I have phrases that prompted like a beat in a scene for me. And sometimes I've come up with scenes and beats that I like from those phrases, which those have like, I mean, they have inspired something, not not in the way the book says of having it like at the start to remember what you were writing, the feel of the book, the feel of the scene, but indeed like putting the sentences that you find elsewhere or wherever you find them, even if not in fiction, it is super helpful. I mean, it has been super helpful for me in having that list and then just going through that list when I'm feeling like low motivation, low inspiration maybe, but it's, yeah, it's generative, not in the way the book says, but it has worked for me, having those good sentences. It's most often good good place of words and, uh, I don't know, like good descriptions, um, good conversations, a piece of dialogue, whatever. So, yeah, that's, that's what has worked for me. Okay. LP, go ahead. Oh, did you have something to add? Um, no, I just think, you know... The idea of like adding the epigraphs or talking about phrases, I tend to um, not, I tend to draw. So I tend to finish something, a chapter or a scene, and the only thing that gets me back into it if I'm struggling is if I sketch it out. I know that's bizarre maybe to some people. It's bizarre to me sometimes too, but um, I think, you know, that's one way. I think you just have to find what's going to coax you or inspire you or to like get you into that mood. For me, it's art. 
I think that makes sense because you're a multidisciplinary artist, right? Like, and so if one of your other art forms is coding or your another one of your art forms is dancing or whatever the hell, I mean, I think it doesn't necessarily matter, but I like the idea of this just in that, like, I try to keep a couple of like source texts around so that I can kind of go through them as needed. But I just thought it was an interesting idea, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it'll work for everything, everybody. I don't think everything will work for everybody. Mm-hmm. I like the general idea and feel of it, mm-hmm. but I don't think I'm like coordinated enough um, to like collect all that information and have it in the right place at the right time. Um, I think there are things that have been good for me to like have read um, before I worked on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I was always that like thoughtful about it. Um, in fact, sometimes when I'm sitting down to write, I'm like, I wish I'd had like some sort of trigger to like push me into this space I need to be in. And I don't <laughs> usually. Um, so I do like, I, I like the idea of it and I hope I get to a point where I've like, I've read consciously enough and have taken better notes and catalog things. Like, uh, like I've, I've got a bunch of books with like sticky bookmarks in them or like uh, on my Kindle of like highlighted things like that. But I never go back and collect those things. I'm really bad at doing that. Um, and so I feel like there's a lot of potential to, to make use of this habit and I just haven't done it. It's funny cause your man's has like a, like a writing journal. <laughs> in addition to like multiple manuscript versions going on any dozens of times. So it's like, like it feels like he only writes in his office and when he's in his office, everything is there that he could ever need, <laughs> which, you know, sounds like a great place to be. Shingai. Um, yeah. I feel like similarly to what a lot of folks are saying, I don't do this as intentionally as is given in the book. But I am like, I'm such a fiend for quotes. Like I love quotes, um, like like things that's, I don't know, things that name an experience that I hadn't named before. I think that's what I hold on to. So for example, there's this one quote that I constantly teach stories are just data with a soul um, because I think it brings across such a big idea in one sentence. The next bit that Matt talks about uh, is tracking your progress. Um... He talks about how from for many years he kept spreadsheets to track first drafts uh, with columns as far as words written and hours writing formulas uh, to total like the measures for every day. Um, he also keeps a column where he keeps short notes as a quick record of what went well and what they discovered during the day, uh, what questions he might have for tomorrow. Also recaps of what was written. Um, for me personally, like, uh, tracking my progress sounds like a good idea, but I also think it's a good idea for normies. And I, I think I might find myself trying to be competitive and that, that's usually a good way for me to stop working. Uh, Nick and then Samin. Um, okay. So I personally don't like tracking my own progress as far as where I'm at compared to the overall and where I need to be to to get to the end. Hmm. I look at progress on a smaller scale. I'm working on chapter one. I need to hit X amount of words to be done with chapter one, or I'm in chapter three and I need to make sure that this scene is fully fleshed out before I can move on. Um, I've always kind of experienced it. If I go from like page one to page end, 
start to finish, you know, on that, on tracking, it is so daunting in the beginning. And you know, oh my God, I got to do this over again because there's like four more edits to go through and four more revisions. I feel like that's where personally I get into my own headspace and I've seen it for other people as well. Like, so smaller chunk of pra- or progress or like finding a way that you can look at progress and feel like you're making progress and rather like not, I got so much more to do. I like that. It's a meme. Yeah, I think that um, from my personal experience, the tracking is good when I'm further along into the process, but it's not good to get me started. Um, it's really like when it ends up becoming a time suck to like try to organize that tracker and set goals around it and whatnot. And so like the setting up of it becomes more fun than the writing itself. Um, and two, it just ends up being feeling like really daunting. Um, and so I know I've talked about this in the last few episodes, but I think that like what worked for me was setting that just 100 words a day goal. Uh, and once I was able to hit that for a couple of weeks, then I was able to put like more tracking in. Cause then I actually, I was writing the writing part was taken care of. And then I just wanted to know how am I doing with the writing rather than using the tracking to get me to write, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. and I still have that all in place and I'm still tracking. Um, but like the last two or three weeks I've had a bunch of stuff going on, like personal life, traveling and work and stuff like that. So I know I'm not going to hit the same like lofty goals that I might have had before those few last few weeks, but I can at least keep track of, you know, that 100 words a day and then use jump off from there when I feel like I'm in a place to start writing at a higher capacity. Gabe? Yeah. Um. So on this topic, I honestly have so much to say, but I'll keep it short. For, I mean, for starters, tracking my progress helped me so much, I guess, for the first couple of years, I suppose, that I was writing. Mostly... I would say because it taught me like many things about the craft itself, like how thing, how long things are, like how long is a hundred thousand words, how long is a thousand words, both like in the page, in a book, and also like how fast I can write. And like I realized, I, I learned my speeds, both like my my averages, how much I could write in eight hours in a day or whatever. Like that was, and it was super like motivating at the start of seeing my progress and hey i and um as nick said like he doesn't like looking at the progress of the overall thing but that's what helped me i created an excel sheet with a bar that was that increased the more that i got closer to the my goal it was like 150,000 words that i was setting for my novel so i knew nothing i i saw that face lp because I mean, I knew nothing about what how long a novel was, and I had to research. Um, okay, so uh, the Hobbit is this long, and okay, this book is this long. Okay, that's how many words. And then, like from that, I started learning how much I should write for a thing, x amount of pages. So it was such a learning process doing that sheet and learning my speed, learning how things really are. And it was motivating until it wasn't when I saw that I had a streak of 15 days that I was not writing. And I saw that on my stupid Excel sheet. So it was a double-edged sword. It was very motivating, but at the same time, it ended up being demotivating. And I stopped writing for months because of that thing. So yeah, I could go on about this for hours, but I'll stop. I'm stuck on 150,000 word debut. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Samim. 
I just wanted to plus one to a lot of what Gabe just said. Uh, I had like a very similar experience. And I think the, the, one of the biggest useful, useful things about tracking was just understanding my own ability and, and sort of like making it feel less daunting um, to say like, Hey, I actually can write like, you know, 800 to a thousand words in this amount of time um, when I'm on a roll and it's, it's not like it is actually doable. Um, and, you know, I give myself a year or six months, but however long it's going to take you, it is achievable. And if, um, but the flip side of that, like Gabe was saying, is like when something happens and you hit a roadblock, um, you're seeing your, your, your like failure. Um, it's like, oh, I could have done this. I know I could have done this. And so I think that's why, um, I've, when the past it's been really demotivating for me. And this time around, I sort of like said, Hey, here's the baseline bar worry about the baseline track what you do above that, but just worry about this really low baseline. Um, and that's taken a lot of the pressure off for me. Well, Rastin, um, I will write down how much I've done each day, but that no longer, it's actually never motivated me. It was be a way that like, all right, I want to hit this. It used to be, I wanted to hit this number of words, but now I can't look at things like that. And I think it's because of my practice of art. So like when I'm building a painting, I have to block in all these shapes, right? First, because you can't get detailed first. You actually kind of have to start blocking out the shapes to create the picture. So for me, what motivates me is thinking, what do I want to achieve in the story in this part? What will make me feel accomplished or satisfied? So say it's like I want to get to the actual murder. Well, I can't yet because I have all this other um, things that need to happen. So I just keep writing towards that goal of um, the murder happen. And if I only write 200 words, that's fine. I just know I need to go back and write towards that point of the scene. I only track the number of words as a means to kind of gauge maybe of like where I'm at and how long I think I'm far away from the end of the chapter, but I can't analytically look like what Gabe does and like, Oh, well, this is my average. And this is, I didn't do anything today. My brain just no longer wants to work that way. And I think it's because I'm practicing so much visual art. Gabe, uh, what Will said in it's, it's something that, as I said, like it helped me thinking that way. And it taught me things, but, I think it depends on the stage you're at in your writing, at least at least for in my own experience. Like it helped me a lot, but now I know that if I have, as we were talking before recording, I need to write a four thousand four thousand word short story, but in two weeks, knowing what I can do now, I can sort of, and having an adult life, I can I now know on average how much I have to block out to write those to write those things. Cause I mean, now I have this Excel sheet that will mentioned again is I have a calculator that if I write, I need to write a hundred thousand words for whatever project. And if I put my averages, it's going to give me the date when I'll be finished with that. And I've put in the months of how long it takes to edit and all those things. But in the end, it's just learning your process for me. It was about learning about my own process and hearing my friends, I mean, there are people that can write 2,000 words in an hour. I cannot do that. Like, it's 
there's no way. But I learned that through this, through tracking my progress. If not, I would have never known my, I mean, the numbers if, and now it's been super useful lately. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess I just want to go back to that because, yeah, I guess like the word count does help say, okay, I need to at least write this much, right? Like we have, me and Gabe are getting ready to, by the time you've listened to this, we've already been to our writing retreat. But right now we're gearing up for our writing group to actually meet in person. And we are going to give at least a minimum of a 4,000 word um, story. So for me, like, yes, like you use that as a bar of like the minimum of it. But then once I really get into a story, I feel like all of that lately, and this is just something that's happened um, in the last four months, all of that has like gone out the window. You know, it's really been more of, I need to get to this certain place to actually see the story. And I don't, I feel like it's only because I'm also a visual artist. So I'm seeing things in a different way because my practice of drawing and painting is stronger than it ever has been. So I have a question then too. I don't know. So I guess if you, for those who have technical, like corporate America jobs, like, do you think of your writing in those aspects? Like, do you use some of that skill set that you have to use in corporate America, which honestly, I have no idea what it's like. So I just imagine people like breathing down your neck and being like, you have to hand this in, you have to do this, you have to do that. And I'm like, it all sounds like craziness to me. I actually recently had the reversed experience uh, where I feel like um, getting a better handle on how much I can get done in like a 30 minute block or an hour block has actually motivated me to be better at work uh, uh, in a weird way. And I I think this might have been like, this might have started for me like before the pandemic as well, but just, I think think this is more of like a parenthood thing just made me lose a sense of like how long things take. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would not start tasks at work sometimes because I was like, there's no way I can get this done without like an eight hour block of time. And therefore it just doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like, learning to to make things into bite-sized pieces um and writing a novel i feel like is much more daunting than everything i have to do at work to be honest um and being able to break that down sort of taught me how to like or retaught me how to break things down um, in other aspects of life too what about you gabe um i mean for starters abilities with excel sheets with numbers that's what i've put in i I love excel sheets for everything but another thing is like setting realistic expectations with objectives like having that it's i mean that at least what i do at my job is the basic thing if you don't set objectives that you can actually do like you can dream whatever all all you want any project you want but if you don't set the steps that are needed to complete that and i think i've put that into my writing but i didn't know how to execute that until i knew how Again, what I said before, how much I could write, how much things had to, how long things had to be, like the sizes for uh, flash and short stories and novellas and novels and debut novels, as you were saying, LP. But yeah, it's it's just being, and a bit of what Samim said, like just being more efficient, I suppose, with my f- available time for a thing. So Yeah. I, th- I think that there's a I think there's an interesting way in which a lot <clears throat> I envy the folks who work 
in corporate jobs, but also Envy Will in that like his job, his school life is like making art, but like also his work life is making art like out of people's hair, right? Like he's always looking at these things and figuring out how to make them better. And there's a little like troubleshooting in like all these parts of their lives. And I wish that I didn't just wait tables because I can't figure out how to turn the things that I know (laughs) how to do from work into something that'll translate well into like my writing life other than like getting people the fuck out of my way so I can get back to work. <laughs> Telling people what to do? No, you know what? What to do at work. <laughs> you, you are a great um, observer of people. Oh, that's and true. you can really judge someone. Like you can judge someone's character right away. I've seen you do it. And I think that is a really great soft skill that isn't it's not something that can be learned but it's something you can do through experience of constantly working with people because guess what being a server is like multitasking on top of multitasking and i think what it is reflected in your fiction and i said this before on the podcast but you have like a melody in your in your words and I feel like that comes also not from you practicing music, but you are around people all the time. You hear the way people sound, the way people talk. Like that is how your job most likely, in my opinion, would influence you in soft ways. Where when I think about what Gabe does, that's like a, that's like a hard skill. That's something that is taught and learned. And then he internalized it and like used it in different ways. I could never operate that way with Excel and everything. I had enough of that fucking shit in biochemistry and it can go to fucking hell. I, I agree that, uh, with having a soft skill. I just wish I had like a couple hard skills to throw in there sometimes just to like balance it out just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but I do, I, I do think that like the, like being able to gauge social dynamics and, uh, and be up on your feet and, do all that like in a in a split second and know how like a table is going to react or know when they sort of like preempt them reacting however you don't want them to react um i don't know they're just i think it's it's both a technical skill and an art at the same time um just being able to handle chaotic social situations like that i get I, okay. I agree though I, I agree i just want some hard skills so I, w- I was thinking of, I mean, asking Nick and Shingai about like their experiences in the MFAs and how that, I mean, how do you, did you apply? I mean, tracking your progress and having deadlines and knowing how much you could write to be able to meet those deadlines and I mean, be successful at at school, at writing school. So yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, it is. Because I'm, oh boy. So it's not a brag. It's not a brag. It's just my ability. And I don't know why it's an ability, but it is. Um, If I want to throw four, if I want to throw down 4,000 words in a night, I'll throw down 4,000 words in a night. If I want to do that for a week straight, I'll do it for a week straight. Now it is word vomit and it's getting better, but that's actually what got me through my MFA because I'm not, I'm not great. I'm not great at outlining. I can do it if I need to, which I did for the, my novel. But like, I really excel at pantsing and 
figuring out how to fix the problem later. Um, and so for me, like it going through an MFA is totally different because I'm not producing work to be published. I'm producing work to learn, which I take that in. I'm producing work mm. to learn, not producing to publish. Those are two different things that those they're not two different styles of writing, but the quality is different. It's giving me the permission and the ability to take a risk. I wrote a gay sex scene for our romance section and I loved the hell out of it. Did I nail it? No, probably not. Was it good? I don't know. I'm a straight guy writing two gay characters having sex. So it's in a trunk. It's in a shelf somewhere. I'm willing to share it with those who want to read it. But I enjoyed it so much. Like, guys, it was so much fun. Like my inbox is so horny for it. Let's go. <laughs> I'll send it. I think Will Will, you might have read it too, but like it yeah, was so much fun because I was learning how to connect the physical aspects of a relationship and how to properly emote them in a book. I can describe sex all day long, but how do you describe the emotional feeling behind the physical touch? So and, and that's that's what the MFA is for. Is like I took that risk. I loved it. It was great. Uh, it's a skill set I now have, as opposed to where you know I want to write for the Surrey International Writers Conference contest. That's a whole different level and whole different ball game and different objective. So I will approach that differently. Shingai, mm-hmm. I wow. I don't know if I can top that answer. That was. <laughs> That was brilliant <laughs> and so accurate. And I think something that I miss about the MFA is, is feeling like my writing had the space to be anything and everything all at once, <laughs> um, including the shittiest parts of itself. And I definitely was never at a point where I could write 4,000 words a day, but I did write the second half of my novella in one day. So there was that. Um and maybe it's because, you know, the pressure was off. Like I was like I wasn't thinking about publishing, I was thinking about workshopping it, mm. which is different. <laughs> um mm. Yeah. Whether I track changes or like movement throughout my drafting process, I've no, no. I just, I don't. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we didn't move on from this question because this got very interesting. Um, I'm not sure how far we are on time right now. I'm going to introduce one more section because we're moving into a subsection called You Begin, which I'm super excited to talk about because this is everything we've talked about up through this point is like preparing yourself to write. And this is where... Um, the book takes you into actually drafting. And so I'm excited about this part, but I think this will have to be the last part. You Begin has its own thing, but then uh, there's, an, there's a portion of it called Write to Produce Inspiration. Um, reading from the text on my page 19. No matter how well things begin, eventually I get stuck to, especially once I'm a good 20 or 30,000 words into a draft. So far, my experience has been that beginnings are easy, middles are dreadful, and endings are inevitable. Whenever this happens, I take a deep breath and think of Lucy Corrin's advice. You should look at the material you produce to find your material. The story is always smarter than you. 
There will be patterns of theme, image, and idea that are much savvier and more complex than you could have come up with on your own. Because a student of your work, oh, become a student of your work in progress. Every aspect of a story has its own story. Um, and he says, poet Tracy Brumhall said, in order to produce inspiration, she writes in order to produce inspiration rather than at the mercy of it. And that's how I want to write too, especially during generative drafts. When you get stuck, look at the material you've made and use it to produce fresh inspiration. It takes a lot of inspiration to write a novel. Here are some ways you might renew yours. What? I don't even know if I should stop there. But um, do you look at your work to think about how to move your work forward? When you're stuck, do you like give it a rest and come back and look at it again? Do you do you use it as a springboard? How do you how do you manage that? Will. Um, I read only the first the last three sentences. And if I don't remember it, and this is for the first draft, I don't care. I just go with what I'm feeling. This is what I'm writing right now. Does that mean my first drafts are absolute mess? Yeah, hundred percent. But again, I feel like this is where my art and practicing art for the last year intensely has changed the way that I write. It's um it's made me think of when you're drawing or you're sketching, right? Like when you're just really sketching, like the idea of a sketchbook is to create and generate ideas. Sometimes it'll look really good. Sometimes it won't. Most times it won't. Most times you're like trying to figure thing out. So this is what I've really like, this is what's made me start writing even more because now I can go into it and I am just going to write and go with whatever flow I have. And I have an idea in mind, but sometimes the nuances will change or sometimes I'll have a better idea and I'll change right in the middle of it. And I no longer have this um, fear or this gripping thing of that. I can't write. Everything is in process. Everything is about getting better. And plus like I'm dyslexic. So like half the words that I write don't make sense at first. Nick knows this. Shingai. I kind of want to speak to Will's point about um, just like how you come to the page, not necessarily knowing what came before in the way that you knew it when you were writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and how like that offers like a diversity of feelings in the whole story. Because I, I kind of do, I was doing this with my novel where there were moments late last year where I was like deeply sad or deeply angry. And I was like, I need to write a scene about anger or sadness. (laughs) And I think that writing from that perspective adds honesty to that scene because I am experiencing it as I'm writing it. Um, Even though it may not be the scene that should follow directly after the last scene that I had written when I was like happy go lucky version of myself. Um, yeah, so it's just interesting thinking about it and like how being true to what you're feeling as you're writing and just following the feelings and the emotions um, gives a range of different honest emotions. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, jumping off what Shingai said in and the question of if we look back to our own things to be able like to get inspiration or get unstuck and stuff, what has got, got me unstuck in that sense is actually looking at the feeling of a scene and i mean not actually looking at it rereading a scene that i know has that i know was either hard for me to write or that i'm excited about or that 
makes me feel things. And I just reread that thing and uh, it gets me into the excitement of the story if I've forgotten it or like the feel of the story. Because sometimes we start with one, maybe a theme or a feeling for a scene or story, and then we we forget it, it, either from time or whatever. And then going back to that, like, yeah, this is why I was writing this. So it has, I mean, at least for me, it has been super, super useful, both the looking at the previous three sentences, but also looking at what got me excited about this story and about writing in general. So yeah, it's, it's really good too. I mean, sometimes you find some things that are like, damn, why, how did you write that? Oh, in a bad way. Like, dude, like, what were you thinking? But, but there's good stuff out there too. Back there. I mean. One of my old revision processes, uh, I don't know why I stopped doing it, but uh, one of my old revision processes is to open two documents side by side. One was the last document and one is the new document, which is blank, and just start retyping it and uh, building stuff into it and trying to find the place where it stopped feeling um, honest. And if I could go to an honest place after that, then like that would be the new direction that it went. The thing is that like I have a story with like 18 drafts and it is not done. And so I don't know if that was the most effective one, but like, I don't know. I, I think, I think there's some honesty in, in that bit of advice. Um, since I've been told we have a little more time, I'm going to combine three sections because I think they go together. Um, Page 20, Riding the Islands. Uh, If you ever find yourself unsure what comes next, try what Charlie Smith calls Riding the Islands. Instead of writing the scene after scene in order, and then, and then, and then, write the big scenes you already know, no matter how far off they seem. Once those scenes exist on the page, the task then becomes writing between these scenes, knowing destinations, creating bridges to connect these islands. Um, A secret possibility, your exploratory draft might turn out to be nothing but these islands discovered one after another so one might uh so might the final book uh and then the next portion is called follow your excitement writing the islands also means getting the best stuff you have so far out of your head and onto the page making room for new best stuff to arise always go to where your energy is the highest your excitement will generate more excitement and you will avoid the alternative where your boredom generates more boredom uh, Rachel Kushner says the writing has got to have this kind of energy where I think I'm onto something and I figured out a track and the language to keep me onto that thing. I'm keen on a type of writing where I can feel the pleasure of the author. Even before you know what your book will do for readers, you can pay attention to what it's doing for you. Now I'm skipping to page 24. Beware of ha- have two scenes, which Watch out for, say, for any scene you feel you have to produce, especially if you don't want to write it. And I think that speaks a little bit to the idea of, like, not writing things that bore you because they will also bore the reader. And I just thought uh, that sequence uh, was super interesting and that it was like, write the best, the scenes that you can see the most in your head the ones you're most excited about, and then write the next scene you're most excited about. And don't write the scenes you should think you should be writing because that excitement is powerful. Um, and I know that's kind of anathema for a lot of people because a lot of people write chronologically. How 
have you used this method before? Is this something that you think you could use? Or does this just sound batshit to you? Samim. Um, I think I used to, to try to do this and like, I, I, I have so many novels that are just like, like three or four scenes completely out of context. Um, and what I committed to do this year with this novel is, um, I can write aspects of those scenes and notes. Um, but my writing goals are all around like prose and pro or prose to progress plot. Um, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is happening in between. Cause I kind of have a sense of like what those, what those islands are. And I know I'm going to like them and I'm excited to get there. Um, and I won't completely stop myself from, from writing aspects of them. Um, I think the issue I've had with that in the past is I write those and then I stress out about how do I get there? Um, without really knowing where to begin even. Um, so I have trouble like working backwards from that. Mm-hmm. That said, I'm not, I'm also not really writing like chronologically. Um, I'm like vaguely like, yeah, this is the type of thing that could happen next. I'm not, or I'm not sure what, what could happen next, but I kind of want to hang out with these characters in this location and throw these aspects in it. Um, and either that's going to get rearranged chronologically later or, um, it'll get cut completely. Um, but it does help me sort of like explore and continue on. Um, and I think that sort of goes back to, um, to what what the the question just before where it, I end up like writing what I'm feeling, but putting it into a scene without really any intention, um, just to see where it goes. Um, yeah, I feel like I had something else to say, but I forgot, so I'm gonna stop talking now. Shingai. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think Samim's point was really cool. Um, I feel like this advice is so useful for writing short stories also Um, because I do, I realize that I have a tendency to like um, have, I don't know what they're called, but like, you know how when you write a story, you can have headers for different sections Mm -hmm. and that, that helps me keep track of the story that I'm trying to tell. Um, Cause usually I'm I like, I have, like I want this to happen and I want this to happen and I want this and this to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I'm following a certain theme with the last short story I wrote, um, I was thinking a lot about Frantz Fanon and black skins, white masks. And so I titled each section black skins, white masks. And that helped me keep track of like the story. Um, even though they weren't happening in a, le- the story itself wasn't following a linear fashion. Um, so that's really useful. With novels, it's a lot easier to forget how to do that because you think the world is so big and you're like, oh, wait, I'm trying to ground the reader in like what is happening from point to point to point. But I do think that it is, I, he's correct. I think that like the reader will be more excited to read what you're more excited to write. So it comes through the the scenes that you were really excited about writing becomes very obvious to the reader. Um, like I was having a really hard time writing, um, fight scenes or (laughs) scenes about like combat because that's just not my specialty. Um, and I'm really good about writing about feelings, um, and conversations (laughs) that are very feeling, feeling heavy and like trying to unpack shit. Um, 
And one of my friends who read one of the combat scenes that was in my novel was like, okay, you're so slow in like such a grounding way and all the other things you write. But then this scene, you just like brush through it and I couldn't feel what was happening. And I was like, that makes sense because I didn't enjoy writing it. <laughs> um, and I've been thinking a lot about how to come to a scene or a type of thing that you're not good at writing from the angle or the perspective that you're good at writing. So like, how can I come to battle or combat from what is being felt and maybe that that would be useful in me coming back to write it but I think that's definitely a revision thing in the first draft I am very down for like going to the next exciting thing and then coming back <laughs> to fix the problems later I'm raising my hand but I'm also processing what Shingai just said which is amazing um, <clears throat> I'll go back to the episode actually to think more on that but about writing the islands and what you said, LP, I think it, those three topics connect really well in writing the islands, follow the excitement, and beware of the, of the have-to scenes, and more so in a first draft, I would say. Because, I mean, in my experience, when I started writing, I thought I had to write chronologically. I knew nothing. And then I realized that I was very excited about scenes very far in the future, like 100,000 words in the future. It's like, but no, no, I want to write that. So I did. Again, I knew nothing, but then I knew more. And then I started writing all the islands that I was excited about in my novel. But then with, it, it's funny, with my, when I got my writing groups, I was starting to share stuff with them chronologically. And then I got to a point that I had not written in my novel. And I literally crashed and burned and didn't write a single thing for six months. Because I had not figured out that stupid scene until I realized, like, you idiot, or, well, I mean, said lovingly to myself, um, that that was not working. So I went for the scenes that I was excited. I wrote a, a short story, and I just followed the excitement. And now I'm making so much progress that I cannot believe it myself, just following the excitement, following the dopamine. And the coming back to the have-to scenes, I think it doesn't matter at all for a first draft unless you're like on deadline and you're more advanced in your career and you have to have your draft for a certain date like to sit back sit and okay this scene has to do this and this and this to find the function of that scene but i mean for a first first draft the scene just have to freaking exist like that's i don't know and yeah it harkens back to what shingai said of if you don't know how to write this scene, go to your strengths. That's the thing that I have to digest later. Look for your strength and your excitement about that scene. Like, don't think about the function when it's the first draft. It's just write that thing, write what excited, what's exciting for you. Just get that shit out there. Will? Um, I mean, I can speak to having to write on a deadline right now because I am writing a bi-weekly webcomic and I'm not drawing it. Like it also is going to Sebastian. I still think it is called Vessel and it is on Webtoon uh, right now. By the time this airs, it's also going to be on Tapas. Um, oh, we'll just put it in the show notes. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would say... For me, I write that script 
I get everything out. Then it goes through um, the iteration of me and Sebastian will read it. Sebastian will read it. And then we will do the art. And then right before we're like a week before we're getting ready to publish it, we actually go through the whole entire script and see what he needed to change for visually. Um, so I still think there is a lot of wisdom of just getting it out, even if you are on deadline, uh, because you have to go through that. I, I think there's very few authors that we've interviewed here on the podcast that has ever said, um, that would ever say that like, Oh, I wrote this first draft and I handed it off to my editor. They're very few or they're very seasoned, you know, or, and let's be honest, I found out a couple people who were published authors who were really well, where they've done a first draft, handed it in, and it needed to be complete rewrites, complete. Um, and they still went on acting like that to the public. Uh, their first draft was like great, and they only had to tweak a couple things. So let's just get rid of that um, idea. Uh, because if it's going to be great, then it definitely needs more than a first draft. Marsh, uh, Nick. Yeah, so I'm going to be the devil's advocate on this one, guys. Um, I I do like write what's exciting, but I also will say that you've got to write to write as well. I think the more that we do the writing thing, the less we need to be inspired and excited to write the thing as well. Um, and again, playing devil's advocate, cause I'm clearly not on this level where I can just sit down and write the things that are boring. Like I'm still writing between the exciting things, but I think as, as we get better, we progress and we grow. We're not just working off excitement anymore. It does become a job. We've trained ourselves in our brains to write the boring stuff because we know how to do it and we can get it done. And we're still excited about the other things. I got three people with their hands up. So like, I'm like causing a riot and I love it. Let's hear it. Oh, four, five, let's go. It's okay. I start because I hit it first and I'm also moderating this whole, no, um, I think, uh, I think that, I think the other side playing the devil's advocate to your devil's advocate, um, I think part of the, the aspect of becoming seasoned is, is learning how to choose scenes that don't bore you, right? Choose scenes that like that speak to that excitement and then you're excited to write them regardless. I don't think it's a conversation. If, if what I think Matt is saying isn't that like, oh, you know, you know, don't write boring scenes. Boring scenes aren't necessary. I think what he's saying is if you have a good amount of enthusiasm about all the scenes that are in the book, then that enthusiasm will carry through for the reader versus like, oh, well, yes, write to write. But like, that doesn't mean that you have to waste your time writing scenes that you're lukewarm about. My thought. Uh, Gabe, Will, Shingai. Um, just to quickly, what blew my mind about what Shingai said before is that it's in those scenes that are hard, that you know will be hard and that you're not really excited about, I mean, thinking of finding the thing that you are actually good at writing, if you're good at dialogue, good at feeling, good at world building, whatever, whatever you're good at, sometimes in those scenes that you're saying, Nick, that you just got to do the thing, I think at least this is resonating so much for with me 
of, yeah, I'm not excited about this. I'm going to find what I like about writing in general, what I, what I'm good at even. So yeah, I mean, damn, I'm still, I'm still reeling. Go ahead. Well, yeah, but the thing is that, you know, you have to do it to write the boring. I mean, if you're writing anything and you're bored, then the scene's boring. Like, sometimes you have to get through it and then go back to make it exciting. Or there's certain things that you don't want to write because of either you're not in the, you have to pour in a certain type of emotion and you can't, um, and you have to work through that emotion, right? And, you know, you can't always um, have the same type of enthusiasm of like, personally me, I love writing um, fight scenes. I actually feel like it's the one place I actually shine. But that's because I fight, right? Like, that's because I spar. So, like, I get into the whole entire rhythm of it. Um the th- scenes that I think I have the most trouble with, I would say, is sometimes description. So I'll put brackets in here. Describe the cave or describe the um, house, and I'll just skip over it and do it later because I'm in the zone of I want to get to a certain part. So I think it's just well, if you're bored, put a little bracket in there and then come back to it because eventually you'll be ready to write it and write it dynamically. So that's how I think of those scenes. Shin Gardens me. me. Um, Yeah, I think kind of similar to what everyone else has been saying. One of the things that I realized during this conversation is that like, what do we mean by being bored with a scene? I feel like if, if we're bored, it's because we don't understand what it is we're trying to write. Right. Like if I'm excited about the character, I'm excited about the story that I'm trying to tell. Then even the scenes that they are doing that I'm like, this is really hard to get through. It's probably because like I don't fully understand why they're doing it, like why they have to do it. And maybe if I spend time trying to understand it more, it will become more interesting to me or I'll find the things in it that are interesting to me and then I can speak to it from that angle. Um, Yeah, so I like the, also like Will said, like pausing and then coming back and finding a way to be more dynamic. I also really like the fact that like, you know, because Will spars, fighting scenes make, like, he understands fighting. Like, that makes sense to him. I don't, because I don't do it. So it's, like, something that I need to understand more. <laughs> Samin? Um, I think I was going to back up Nick a little bit on, on his, his uh, advocation of the devil. Um, um, uh only and, and this is um, maybe for me personally. I think I don't often. I think being bored with a scene is less of an issue than um, finding a scene hard um, to know what to do with. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm forcing myself not to skip those right now is because I will never want to go back to them, no matter what. Um, so, uh, what I found for me personally, at least with this project, and I feel like every project is going to be a little bit different, but pushing through those scenes that I don't care about leads me to a scene that I'm excited about that didn't exist before 
uh, in my head at all. Um, and so I think from, and, and I think it's, it's helped me sort of build the muscle of just like writing to push through something, knowing full well that like that might be a block of text is going to get cut um, or heavily edited. Um, but I just needed to push through it to figure out where the next scene that was actually going to be interesting to me was going to be. Mick. I like that. So to kind of bring my comment full circle, I really like Shingai, what you did. You, you kind of divide, define what boredom was. Cause that was going to be my next question. Like, well, what's bored? What are you bored of a scene? Or are you bored of the story that you're trying to write? Um, I feel like if there is excitement to Gabe's point too, like about what you're writing, the scenes aren't necessarily boring, but if you feel bored in them, there may be a different problem going on with them. Um, and obviously, if this is a first draft, do write what you're excited about. If there's certain scenes that you know will work in the book, just write it. I'm a chronological guy unless something's broken. Um, so for me, the only reason I jumped out of order is because I was bored with my first 10 chapters and I knew I didn't have my character voice correct. So I skipped three chapters ahead and started there and then went back and rewrote. Um, and so for me, like, I liked what I, I liked the premise of what I was writing, but I was getting bored and then I knew I needed to make a change. Um, and that's one of the reasons I, I would skip ahead. Uh, but yeah, thanks for defining those terms a little bit there for machine guy and Gabe. Um, and see me, I'm really like what you said too, when it comes to hard scenes, like skipping those and knowing or writing through and knowing that you're going to have to heavily edit or delete. I think that's what I'm learning the most right now in my current novel is just pushing through a scene just to get the words out and then using that as a structure for later. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.